Listening to the SDSU Football Podcast, presented by the East Village Times, with your hosts Andre Hagverdian and Paul Garrison. Welcome, listeners, to another episode of the SDSU Football Podcast. I am your host, Andre Hagverdian, and will be joined shortly by my co-host Paul Garrison. Today's episode is an interview with Ryan Lindley the newest offensive coordinator at San Diego State, who will also continue to take over the role as quarterback's coach, which he did as of midseason last year. Uh, Obviously, uh, Ryan Lindley is a former Aztec uh, quarterback, all-time passing leader, who came back uh, midseason last year after uh, offensive coordinator Jeff Eklinski was let go Obviously, Ryan came and took over just quarterbacks coach while Jeff Horton was the offensive coordinator on an interim basis. But now the offense is Ryan Lindley's. He, as the offensive coordinator, he has been installing his offense, his playbook, with the help of uh, his coaching staff, some of which are new, some of which are now currently, again, vacant for the second time this offseason. So he has his work cut out for him, but he, as you will hear from this interview, is uh, pleased with how spring camp has gone, how the players are responding. The fans will have an opportunity at the spring game on Thursday coming up to, you know, that first glimpse of what the offense could, could look like, what the players can do in it, and so forth. So let's get to the interview. Paul and I talked to Coach Lindley about a week or so ago, um, and I think this was a very uh, informative discussion, and I think you guys will enjoy it. So let's get to it. We want to welcome back Coach Ryan Lindley to the SDSC Football Podcast. How are you doing tonight, man? Good, good. Appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, you know, the first time we had you on was about eight or nine months ago. You know, not a lot has happened since that time, huh? No, no. It's, uh, yeah, the only thing is a little different geographic situation for me and the family, but uh, still coaching ball and, and trying to win some football games. You know, obviously making that uh, change like that midseason can be a whirlwind, but have things normalized a bit for you and, and your family right now? Yeah, I think that the, the toughest thing for us as a staff is just kind of the, the change that's gone on. You know, especially at a, at a place like this, San Diego State, you know, people want to be here and have been here for a long time. So, uh, you know, when something new comes up, I think the biggest thing for us was the amount of the amount of interest we had. You know, obviously that that speaks to the program, that speaks to the kind of players we have, speaks to Coach Hoke, uh, and obviously just the city of San Diego and the alumni base here. So, uh, it, it was a it was a really eventful winter. We'll say that, um, and we're kind of kind of glad we're hitting spring ball on the run. You know, obviously, we've, we've had recently with Coach Gould uh, taking an NFL opportunity uh, that's created, you know, a little bit little bit more going on. So we kind of have felt like 2023 has been the year that, you know, something something continues to pop up and keeps us on our toes. But uh, I'll tell you what, our kids are having a heck of a spring. They're working really hard and it's been a it's been a blast coaching them uh, through everything. Yeah, you, obviously, you mentioned you're going through spring camp. You're about more than halfway through. Uh, could you give us an update on how the offense is developing so far? Yeah, I think I'm I'm excited with where the the young guys that we see playing a lot of football for us in the future. 
the steps they've taken, you know, at different positions. I think we all knew that the running back group was a, was a deep group. There have been guys and it's kind of cool to see them all kind of take their turns with a good practice here and there. You know, I think we're, you know, you'd, you'd love it for a guy to step up and be that real bell cow, but I think they're all playing at a really, really high level and, uh, and making strides of where they're at. So it's good to see um, the tight end group's been really good. Uh, Mark Redman, I think, has taken some strides. There's been some things I know he took pride and he wanted to improve as a player in some certain areas, and he's definitely done that uh, kind of as a leader of that group. But that's also a really deep, deep room that Coach Eslew has. Um, and, and it's fun to see some of these guys that are getting an opportunity to step up uh, with some vacancies that have been created on the offensive line. So fun to see guys like Drew Azapardi, Christian Jones, um, and, you know, BCD, Brinkinshaw Dixon's. A guy, he's played a lot of football, and you can tell because when he gets out there, and you know he he knows what he's doing. He does it with some some malicious intent at at, at times, and and uh, and we like to see that he's kind of taking taking his role on as well. You know, we've uh, obviously paid attention to a lot of the interviews that you've given, uh, been part of those and things. But uh, you know, you've talked about building the offense around the strengths of the players that yeah. that are in the program, and. Um, one thing from coach, and if I can explain this right, but one thing from Coach Hoke that I've really like gleaned from my own life is his ability to kind of put off making evaluations, letting the process fully play out before making a decision. How do you, you know, approach that? I'm I'm the kind of guy who can't let his toast finish before checking it, you know. Um, so uh, to see somebody to ask him, you know, how's this this player? How's this defensive line? And he says, I'll, I'll tell you in two weeks. I don't know. Yeah. And 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 he means it. And it was, it's a really impressive quality. So how do you approach, you know, I guess making it an evaluation and a decision on the strengths that you're going to build the offense around when, you know, you've only been around these guys for a few weeks in this role. Yeah. I think the number one thing that we focused on is <clears throat> instilling, instilling a culture in these guys. I think the one thing there's been some consistency when you look at it over the past decade plus on defense, you know, I know, I know a different defensive coordinator, but Really, when you look at it, it's been it's been Coach Long, obviously Rocky, and then hand over to Coach Maddox, which has been great to see how he he puts his own flavor on it, and it's been phenomenal for me. You know, just a side note as a coordinator to be able to work with him and learn under him because he 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 does a phenomenal job of it and getting his guys ready. And I've kind of taken on I I want our guys to have a little edge and nastiness like our defense does too. You know, maybe that's some time spent with Coach Arnett down at Mississippi State, but I think you know the defense is has held on to that culture and, and gotten some continuity and some consistency because of that. And I just want to see our guys on offense develop that as well, and kind of take pride in what they're doing. And uh, it's, it's led to some really good competition here throughout camp. And I mean, just more on that kind of philosophical side of it. I mean, there's gotta be a tension right between developing the offense around their strength, but also helping them to become better. I mean, how do you, I guess, balance that tension between, you know, wanting to instill ideas that you have and help them to get better at those things versus, you know, building it around what you see already? Yeah, no, and it's a it's a it's a game. It's kind of a juggling act that you have to have. You know, there's there's things that, you know, are going to be bedrock principles of what you're going to be about. And you got to make sure guys are working towards, you know, improving in those areas. But also, you know, you got to you got to find what our guys do well and make sure that those are well-rounded enough to really take advantage of, of those traits. So, uh, you know, and going back to your question about Coach Hoke, I think that's one thing I've really taken from him too. Of, you know, it's not, it ain't, it ain't a microwave, you know, this ain't going to be a microwave, you know, 30 minute ab system we're going to put in here in spring. So, you know, there's, there's times we'll have a down day or a down period here and there against the defense. And 
you get a little frustrated, but then you get and you look at it on film and you see where guys are making strides, you know, you see where, and I think coach Hoke and his, and his wisdom and his experience, you know, he's, he's seen it, you know, 40 times over of the guy that makes those 15 mistakes as a young freshman and young sophomore. And, you know, there's probably some guy in the back room says, Hey, you know, I probably got to find somebody else or move on. And he's that guy that can see it and go, no, no, no. I see, I see what that kid, I see the light turning on in him, you know, they were, where some guys, you know, at other programs may say, you know, yeah, we got to, after 14 reps, we got to move on, you know, but that 15 rep, that 15th rep is where that kid figures it out, you know, what it, whatever it is. And, and I think, uh, it's really great to see how we've kind of uh, instilled that and allowed our guys to kind of take ownership of what they're doing right now. Yeah, and Paul, Paul and I were at uh, the first spring practice, um, you know, and for what we do, we we pay attention to who's running with the ones, who's doing this, who's playing this position. And we asked Coach Hoke about that. He said, don't pay attention to any of that yet. Two weeks later, we're going to evaluate and rank players, and then we're going to have a better idea so as an offense, how do you go about kind of making that identification of, you know, who are our best players at these positions? Yeah, no, it's 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 good. And having some fluidity there helps because, you know, sometimes it's and it's happened with guys of, you know, a younger guy does some things well at the beginning, maybe because we're a little lighter, you know, mentally with the load that we're giving guys. And also sometimes just based on, you know, he's going against the younger guys as well. So it may be more of those guys on defense not necessarily doing their job as opposed to him doing really well, you know? Uh, so it's, it helps when we slide guys in and out, we give guys opportunities to get, get a lot of good reps in. And, uh, you know, you kind of, you kind of let guys earn their keep in a sense, you know? So it's been, it's been really fun. And that's where I say the competition in each one of our groups has been really great. I mean, even in this quarterback room where, you know, we know, we know Jalen's done what he's done, you know, and, and Moose is Moose. We plan on Moose being our guy, but seeing how Kyle Crumb stepped up, Liu, really our entire room here is really awesome. So, um, it's, it's been fun to see how those guys really step up to the challenge and whatever reps they get, you know, they know they got to take advantage of them. Well, one of the things we hear coaches talk about is installing the playbook. Um, how do you go about de- developing a playbook as a first time offensive coordinator? And, you know, how much of that is already built and how much is it still being built? Yeah. You know, I think the beauty here, uh, I've learned from some guys, you know, I've been around couple other places where you're installing you know you're you're bringing a new system in and i think the beauty of what you got to do you got to find a fine line of you know being inclusionary with your coaches so that's you know that's coach eslu that's coach Goff. that was coach gould while he was here really put his stamp gave us a lot of good stuff on uh, coach kraus and that's where i really found that when we built this staff i thought it was a good group uh great group of men too obviously cohesive work together um, but also you got to kind of have a bedrock of what you do too, you know? So there are times you kind of got to put the foot down and go, ah, you know what guys, I just think we're getting, you know, you get a little bit too all over the map. You know, you, you got to make sure you still have that, that center and that focus. So, um, you know, I think we, we did a good job of that, you know, in the short time that we had those new coaches here, getting that thing installed, getting, the, getting the playbook finalized. And now the biggest thing always, which is what I've kept saying, you know, we have an installation schedule, but it always seems like, you know, you hit spring ball, you got a plan. Hey, we're going to go. Here's one to practices one to 10. Here's what we're putting in. Boom, 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 boom. At some point, something's going to go a little haywire. We say, you know what? Maybe we bit off a little more than we can chew here at practice three, you know, so we push it back. So our biggest thing right now is just to make sure our kids, when it comes time, you know, we get these scrimmages, we get this live action. I want them to play as fast as possible, you know? So it's always like you'd like to put in a little bit more, but 
our guys are doing a great job giving them what get it, giving them what they got right now, and we're really figuring out what what they're going to take hold of and take ownership of. You mentioned the uh, the QB room. Um, one guy obviously was not there, but we had on the podcast was Javance Johnson. Okay. And um, Javance, you know, we asked him about the coaching change in midseason. You're committed. You know, what is that like? And he said, basically, you called him the first night that that you got into San Diego and, you know, all of those kinds of things, that you were the the big reason why he was able to, to stay committed to SDSU. Um, just from your perspective, why was calling him and making that connection so important is one of the first things that, you know, you did as a member of San Diego State staff? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I recruiting, you know, recruiting is the lifeblood of your program. And uh, you, if you if you don't, you know, to, I was with a guy in the SEC, we used to say recruit or die, you know, because it's, it's legit. You know, you got to the players are what make the whole thing run and you got to go get them. So um, I, I think the number one thing when I walked in at the time, I was obviously just coaching quarterbacks, you know, so it was, hey, where are we at, you know, on that level? And as soon as. I was on the plane, you know, I'd ask the guys of, okay, what's our quarterback situation? Do we have a guy committed? You know, I was in the throes of our season. I didn't know. So, uh, you know, Nick Emernotti does a phenomenal job here in the recruiting department. He sent me over film, uh, Javan. So I watched some of that on my flight over, you know, sitting in the airport, you know, on a layover and, and checking that out. And, you know, loved what I saw. Javan's is a guy that has a ton of talent. We're really excited to get him in here. Um, and let him rip it here pretty soon come uh, come this summer and I you know I said shoot I said and I and I got to give coach Heck credit because I think he did a heck of a job of recruiting him and getting getting him committed you know and for me it was a little bit more hey the foundation was laid I just got to hold on to it you know so once once we knew that I got settled in we kind of had a feel for what was going to go on what was going to happen some questions I knew he would have for me um, I gave him a call as soon as I could so you know I got settled in we were I still remember I'm in the office I'm in right now and Craig Smith and Nick came in and, you know, gave me some background on him as a kid and as a person and the family. And it, it was awesome, you know, to, to speak to him. And we kind of stayed in contact and I let him know, I said, Hey, I'm going to be going hundred miles an hour. So I know there may, there may be guys hitting you up every other day. I may not be that guy for the first month here, but no, I love you. And I want you to stay committed and we see you as our guy. So, and thankfully uh, both him and the family decided this was still the best place for him. And I think he's got a bright future here. And one of the words that he mentioned most about you was trust that he trusts you trust you know you with his future which i think is pretty hard to build in, in recruiting with everything that goes on i wanted to just ask about like your philosophy when it comes to offering somebody but it's not committable versus a committable offer and and how you navigate that because it would seem like you know trust is is at the center of, of kind of that conversation yeah, I, I think recruiting is an ever-changing landscape. So, you know, I, I I personally like to say, you know, I think we may only have three or four offers right now out to 24 quarterbacks, and I think I've only given two of those, you know. And I, I tell each one of those guys that if you decide to commit tomorrow, we're done. You know, like that's – I'm offering you a scholarship, and a lot of those guys have a lot going on, you know. And I, but I tell them that, that this is this is it, you know, like if you're the guy, you lock it down. You know, I, we're in a position right now. We ain't going to take much more than than one. I, I, I do operate. You know, I'm not going to spray offers out, especially at the quarterback position. I think it's too important. I think you got to uh, you got to really trust that, you know, each each time you bring one of those guys into your program, that he's a guy you want to you want to hand the keys to at some point, potentially, and, and let him be the face of the franchise, you know, run the program and be the be the leader so i think it's really important you know there's a lot of guys that we look at too where it's like man i absolutely love them but uh, a wise coach once told me you got to see him throw in person you know so 
And it's kind of taken me with a few of those guys that, you know, there's guys that we really like. We recruit really hard right now. And my big go-to with them is, hey, I'm going to recruit you like I've offered you. You know, there's guys that spray offers. I'm going to recruit you like I've offered you. But I need to see it. You know, I need to see you this summer. I need to see you this spring. And uh, we got a really good crop of kids that we're looking at. And I'm excited to kind of continue to to gain a hold and, and make this room my own. But it, it's a great group right now. I really I really like the dynamic we got. We got a really good group of guys top to bottom. And, um, you know, excited to get Javance into that fold. Um, you, you mentioned obviously Jalen being, you know, the number one guy with Kyle and Liu, you know, it's, it, they both came in on the, on, on the same day. Mm-hmm. They both were early in enrollees. You know, how is that competition going? Uh, and what are you looking for as from that backup quarterback? Yeah, it's gone really well. We, uh, and I, we're literally, we had kind of a, we're nine practices in, so it's 60%. So I wouldn't say it was like a midterm, you know, a, a state of the union, you know, we, each one of them came in today and we kind of, you know, it was a, it was a, it was a, I always liked it for them to go a self-assessment, you know, cause I think sometimes at the quarterback position, it can be a bit of a, you know, a lot of those guys are, are, are type A, you know, they're going to be hard on themselves. So a little bit, I always kind of want to see where they're at. Like, where do you, how good do you think you are? How sometimes it's how bad, you know, and, and I think, gosh dang, man, I know I yell at you sometimes, but you ain't playing that bad, you know? So it's really for me, it's to get those guys heads back to okay, hey, this is where we are. Yeah, 100%. We can get better at X, Y, Z, you know, but but at the same time, you know, telling them what they're doing well, what they're picking up. And, you know, we go 100 miles an hour. We got we got the meeting time and everything we do, and those guys work their butts off on the field. But it kind of helps also to slow them down and say, okay, is there anything at this point? You know, we got most of the stuff in. Is there anything that you're still confused about that we can clear up? Because I just want those guys as they compete – to play, you know, as, as hard and as fast as they can. And I and I appreciate them because really everybody in this room has been doing that with the opportunities they've had. You know, we we talked to Mark Redman after the first spring practice, and somebody asked him about how it, the offense was like going through practice under your leadership. You know, he mentioned how good the communication is from you. But he also said one of your sayings is, we want to be the hammer, not the nail. Can you talk a little bit about more where what that means and when that, where, you, where you got that from? Yeah, I mean, to be quite honest, it's kind of, uh, you know, it's always, I've been coached on defense for a little bit, and it's like, hey, you know, you go out and you impose your will. And that's why I say, too, a little bit of, like, that's that's what this place has been built on, you know, and the, the defense is going to is gonna be that, you know, and impose their will on you a little bit. And I, you know, just sometimes I've told the guys that I feel like, you know, with what went on last year, you know, even when, when we turned it around, you know, the defense was playing really, really well. And for me, I just want to make sure they know that, hey, listen, you know, you got you to hold your water in this thing, too, you know, and don't just think that we're here to we're here to service the defense at times, you know, like, hey, this is, you know, you're here to you're here to impose your own will. You know, it ain't it ain't just, hey, we got to react to what they're doing. You know, that's the beauty of offense is really you should dictate tempo. You should set the tempo. So that's my biggest thing to our guys is that, you know, there are times that it feels like and we ain't, we ain't going to win every rep. That's the reality. You know, it's the beauty of us being so competitive. But telling these guys that, hey, no, you know, I want I want you guys to go out there knowing that I know we got a new system. I know they've been doing this for a long time. They got some returning starters, but my my, my message to them, my voice to them has been, hey, so do we. You know, we got a quarterback coming back. We got a couple linemen. We got tight end. You know, we got some really good players with a lot of experience under the belt to come back and really set the tone for this team in 2023. So tell us a little bit more about that coaching staff and your assistants that are that are working for you, um, beginning with uh, – the newest member, Jonathan Krause. Yeah, John is awesome, man. I mean, Coach Krause, he, he comes and 
you know, he's a, he's a younger guy like myself, you know, he's in, in, you know, his experience at UNLV, I think the biggest thing, you know, and when I was in the NFL, one of the big things they always ask a prospect is who's the best player you play, you know, or who's the guy that gave you the most trouble and scouts really. And me as a position coach, when I was in the NFL, you took a lot of stock in that because it was like, well, this guy to play against him, you know, we can evaluate the tape, but like, if a guy has to go against him one-on-one, he's definitely going to know who's a, who's a guy and who's not. So when, when John came into the fray, when we were interviewing guys, it really came up as soon as coach Summer and coach Hope came in my office and said, well, listen, those UNLV guys have been giving us heck for the last two years, you know, <laughs> and he's been, you know, he's been there. And before that, it wasn't really that way, you know, so he kind of turned that room around, got him a lot better two years ago. And then went out and what he did in the transfer portal to make that group a lot better was really impressive, you know. So it was like to see a guy that not only has he developed talent that he's gotten there uh, and recruited himself, but also has gone out and shown the ability to go out and recruit. So um, John does a phenomenal job. And he and I actually play, you know, we, we hadn't really connected since then, but we played together for a quick stint in New England. So, you know, seeing him talk ball and seeing how he can get up on the board and explain things conceptually uh, as well as how he does it. He's just a real good mind for those guys to have in the receiver room. And obviously being a guy that's done it, you know, he's played, he played a number of years professionally. So I think that gives you instant credibility. And we just knew we needed, we needed some stability to get in that room and, and get things going in the right direction. And he's been, uh, he's been that guy for us. The the things we've seen out of some young guys, you know, Philippe Wesley is playing really, really well. Josh Nicholson's a young guy with a lot of speed that we're seeing a lot of improvement from. And really everybody in that room, I think, has just raised their level of play. Uh, what about Coach uh, Mike Goff? Yeah, Mike's awesome, man. And I mean, I've, I've he always mentions it's funny the the whirlwind of this whole thing. I think it was my junior year. He came in and volunteered when I played. So you know the as the as the tables turn and, and time moves on, you know it's a it's a cycle, the circle of life. So it's <laughs> it's really awesome to work with him, you know. And, and like I said, between John, him, and myself, the amount of NFL experience, you know, we kind of relate back to. And a lot of times too, it's like, hey, you know. It, if everybody doesn't have an answer or we can't find a consensus, the beauty too of this game is a lot. It's a lot about who you know too. So Mike's got his connections of guys that you know he can he can reference back from multiple guys he played for. You know, so as we've kind of made this thing our own, it's been good to bounce things off of him and see how he's kind of taking it over. I've tried to empower him to take that line and make it his own. Uh, so I yes, Luke. Yeah, and I tell you what, man, it's it's awesome to see what he's done in that room. Because, you know, you look and and, and it's kind of like, you know, it's a, it's a newer group when you look at it. I think, uh, you know, most of these guys came in 2020 uh, when Coach Hope came back and how, you know, Savai's got a younger group, but you wouldn't know it. You know, he's kind of taken those guys and made them his own. I mean, he recruited most of them and went out and got them. And you just see the depth that he's built in there. You know, obviously, Mark coming in as a transfer was big time. and He does a lot of things for us with the range that he has, but literally top to bottom. It's almost like you look at his group right now, and there's not a guy that I don't think we see not contributing for us. You know, like when you look at it and go, okay, if we only take four tight ends or five tight ends, you like wonder who are we going to leave off the bus? Because each one of those guys is a contributor, not only for us on offense, but does a good job for Coach Deacon on special teams. And he's just built a really, really good culture uh, in that room. And you can tell by the way he approaches it every day. I mean, he's got – it's almost perfect, man. I, I, he almost can flip the switch like that, but also, you know, he's got his he's got his laid back vibe too. So you can tell he keeps those guys in a you know he sharpens the knife, sharpens the edge for them, but does a heck of a job getting them ready to play. And then, of course, you have a couple vacancies. 
when we talked to you in May, you know, you're a defensive analyst. So I know that you appreciate that position and, and maybe somebody who's a little bit behind the scenes, but invaluable um, who retired Gary Bernardi, you know, what, what is it that you're looking for in that offensive analyst um, to, to, to come in and kind of add to, to that team? Yeah. And it was really cool getting, you know, coach Bernardi a lot more when I was here. Cause like you said, I've been in that analyst role, you know, so there's multiple, I think there's multiple, you know, kind of personalities or multiple fits you can put into that. And a little bit, you know, I think we've kind of seen that, hey, obviously it's it's tough having one man down, you know, here for the, here for spring ball. But, you know, we, we can kind of evaluate in a little bit of like, well, we're, what do we need at that spot? You know, like we go through spring ball without an analyst, you know, which you're a man down compared to most other people in college right. football. But a little bit for us, it's like, okay, do we rush and go try to hire somebody? But maybe it ends up, you know, we kind of have too many guys in this spot. and Maybe he ends up stepping on toes and maybe feeling like he needs to back off. You got too many kid cooks in the kitchen on one side. And then you look and all well, the truth, this side, we needed a little bit more help there. So I feel like for us in the spring, by the end, we're going to have a really good idea of where that, where we need to plug somebody, you know, where kind of we need a stop gap for a guy to bring in. And like I said, it could be, I mean, I was, I was a younger guy, you know, where I guess it's almost an extension of a GA, a guy who's still cutting his teeth a little bit in the business and learning some things. Obviously, for me as a defensive you know, analyst, I wasn't uh, all knowing on the on the concepts that I was teaching or the fundamentals that I, as a linebacker coach like I was at Mississippi State. But right. I think you, you, you can get that guy or you can get a guy that's got a ton of experience under his belt, you know, doesn't necessarily need to or want to go on the road recruiting and do that grind, but has a ton to give in the in the classroom and, you know, on the on the film and everything else we can do on a day to day basis. So it's kind of we're, we're feeling that out of of what we're going to need after spring and definitely plan on there's some guys that will jump into the mix that I think could be exciting and help us help us win some games here this year. And then the last one, man, obviously need a new, need a new running back coach. Um, yeah. And so, I mean, what what is it that you're looking for in that role? And, and you know, just not just for that room, but but for the offense as a whole. Yeah, no. And I think I tell you what, Coach Gould, I, I couldn't have been happier for him. He had an immediate impact on these guys. And it even speaks to the fact that obviously Coach Horton did a phenomenal job while he was here. So. Uh, I think that's a room that, you know, the guy that walks in there is going to get a great group of kids that have been developed and now by kind of multiple guys. You can even see how, you know, there's ten, there's tinges of different things that Coach G did with them than Coach Hort did, how those guys have kind of been able to become balanced backs. And I'm excited, you know, because we did. I mean, when we got Coach Gould, he was a phenomenal hire for us. I mean, there's a reason that the NFL wanted to come down here and poach him out of good old San Diego State. So, uh, you know, there were other guys that were involved in the interview process that I think will go back now um, and have already started to to kind of see, you know, what if those guys are still available, I guess, um, are still interested uh, and look back on that and kind of decide, you know, what what the fit is going forward. You know, I, I know we spoke a little bit about Jalen Maiden, um, you know, last year, what he did coming from safety, turning quarterback in the first six games. Uh, were incredible and then you know we all we know the last two games at least statistics wise were not as good and you were asked about a month ago at a press conference about you know what what went wrong maybe in those last two games and you were very open and transparent about how you know you take some of that blame for pushing him out of his comfort zone maybe asking him to throw the ball down the field more that kind of led to those turnovers you know Paul and I kind of talked about this at the time Coming into that Air Force game, you guys had been eliminated, right? So you weren't playing for a conference championship anymore. And maybe those last two games were more of a development for 2023. You know, you obviously <laughs> want to win the games. 
don't get me wrong, but, you know, using that, that opportunity for development, is that how it kind of played out or? No, no, I don't, I don't think so. And that's why I say I put a lot of that on my plate. Cause looking back, you know, as a young coach, it was probably, it was probably a mistake, you know, the, the time to work on those things and push some of those things, you know, quality, you guys have brought it up earlier as far as ideas and installing a system like that time is now, you know, like that time. It, it, I don't want the quarterbacks to go out there and throw a bunch of interceptions in spring practice, but for them to do it now, knowing what they can and cannot do or learning things that they need to learn at this point in the year uh, is a heck of a lot better than doing it in the fall. So, you know, looking back on that, it was, you know, we needed to continue to kind of adapt to what we were doing, but I think we still could have done some things just to kind of put some window dressing on the same things that were being, you know, helping most be successful prior to that point. So, and that's why I say like now there are times that I'm pushing him out of his comfort zone, you know, he may not be playing as well at times that, we saw at points last year, but it's because this is the time, you know, in spring ball, you know, even in fall camp to an extent early on where, no, I do want to push him. I want to see if he can develop some new, some new abilities, some new traits, and we can kind of expand that playbook for him so that uh, he's got a, he's got a lot more to bring to the table and help us move the football. Are there any particular things that you're looking to see from him in the spring that could propel him in the fall? Yeah, I think the biggest thing you see already is like his pocket presence. You know, I think as a as a drop back passer, he just got a whole lot. He's he's gotten a whole lot better. You know, getting these reps that he's gotten because that's one thing I think. You know, there are positions in football. You know, O line being one of them, but even being in the quarterback, being in the pocket, that it's hard to replicate that. You know, so you just need reps at it. I think he needed more reps of us just getting him in some drop back game where he had to work through his progressions and stay in the pocket. He does phenomenally with. We can move him around, but we just got to continue to make him a, a a better player. And he's taking huge strides already this spring as we keep him in the pocket. And he's kind of become a you know guy dissecting that dissecting the defense. So it's been uh, it's been fun to see him develop. And we're gonna we're gonna continue to push all those things and make him a complete player. Now you've been at a guarded secret about your offense and what it's going to look like, and uh, you know not wanting to give any secrets away for the first couple of games. Make the make the opposing defenses be able to you know kind of guess. Um, but Coach Hope did say that you guys might look a little bit like Utah. What what have you – how likely is it, I should say, that you're going to be like Utah? And what, what does that kind of look like for you and from your perspective? Yeah, and, and first I say this because Coach Ludwig is a is a good friend of mine, and I looked up to him as a, as a mentor and played for him as, as, a, as a player. And obviously, a guy like that who's been calling it for 30-plus years, I would be a fool to claim that I'm going to be uh, anything close to the the level that he is acumen-wise. And I'll have my own flavor to the way we do some things. And I've already, you know, at times we'll call him and tell him how stupid I am for thinking I could do one thing and trying to do something another way. So, but I, I say this, I'm, you know, you're just kind of, you kind of emulate who you've been around. You know, you've seen had success. So, you know, I know for Coach Hoke, obviously having played them and being on the defensive side of the ball, uh, you know, garnered a, uh, an immense amount of respect for the way they do things. I think they play complementary football, find ways to create explosive plays, you know, while not being, you know, aerated out and spread, you know, still want to pound the football and, and do some things to, to build toughness and build character in the program. And obviously you, you say all those things without a, without a name or a face to it. And a lot of that applies to San Diego State as well, you know, and I think they've just found a way to do it a little, a little sexier than what it's been deemed as before. You know, I mean, a lot of people Stanford back in the day, it was, a eight eight offensive linemen and turn a 53-yard field and do a little 15-yard box here, you know, just play in there. Where I think Coach Ludwig's done a phenomenal job mixing things from where he's been. And I, I've done the same, you know, being around different guys, uh, 
I look at kind of what, what Todd Munkin brought to the table when I was with him in Cleveland and obviously the success he had with the Bulldogs. A lot of that is players, but, you know, also the players are involved there too. Um, so it's it's been fun to kind of put this thing together. And I think Utah is, is in mind, you know, like kind of a, a theme that we want. But really a lot of that too is just because we see tight ends and backs just like they do as the strength of their offense. So anytime you do that, I think you're going to favor that. You're going to lean towards those guys and find ways to get them involved. Speaking about those tight ends and those running backs, um, I mean, how important is it? Why is it important to to make sure that not just the receivers, but all five skill position players are are involved in the passing game? Yeah, I think you always, you know, well, here's a Luddism. He said, if you if you aren't good at anything, you don't have any tendencies. So sometimes there is a guy. If you got a great player, you better feed him. You better give him the rock. But it also just allows you to be so multiple. You know, I, I think you you can't kind of. You know, you guys can you can attack defenses from multiple areas with multiple guys. You know, they can't really look at shutting down one guy and all of a sudden your offense goes haywire. So uh, I think that's the beauty of what we got right now. We have multiple guys that are stepping up and making plays for us. Um, and it's going to be exciting to see as this thing continues to mold, how we can kind of make it our own. Yeah, you know, one of the things that stood out with last season was, you know, the shared workload by the running backs. There was five running backs that got a lot of carries. It's like chicken and the egg thing, right? You could say on one hand it was shared because one guy didn't step up, or you could say that the other way is none of them got a chance to get a rhythm to show that they could be the lead guy. How how do you approach that, you know, moving forward? Yeah, I, I think, you know, and it was interesting. That was a key question we've had and we had previously, you know, in our, our running back interviews of kind of philosophically where different guys see, you know, if you want to go running back guy committee, if you see it as a, you know, you got one bell cow and only time he comes out is when he's tired. And other than that, you get a breather and you put him back in. And, you know, it's interesting to see how really the dynamic kind of goes back to the same thing. And I know you guys are going to, you may roll your eyes like it's a broken record, but it depends on the room. You know, I mean, I think obviously when Donnell Pumphrey's here, you know, he's going to get a majority of the carries, but you got a Rashad Penny right behind him. You want to give him the rock too, you know, so you're going to find a way to keep those guys fresh and spell them. So that, that's where I say, like, we really do have a really good group. You know, the three guys that have gotten a ton of time already, obviously, Keenan Christen, Jalen Armstead, and Cam Davis, really, who I think guys maybe haven't seen as much, but is having a heck of a camp as well, um, can do a lot of things with the balls, a lot of things with uh, the ball in his hand. And uh, it's it's been it's been a lot of fun to see those guys grow. And like I said, really, it's it's we got to leave it open to them because because nobody separated them. But it's also because nobody separated themselves in a good way. They're all they're all making plays at a high level. And uh, can all do things whenever they're fresh or they get their number called to put us in a really good position. Um, last question before we let you go. You know, you've got, I think, two weeks before the spring game. Uh, what else is there to accomplish before that spring game? Yeah, I think for us, the biggest thing becomes, you know, you get, you kind of go in and you always say, let's, you know, let's keep the let's, let's be as, as efficient as we can operationally, which usually means, you know, in and out of the huddle, get to the ball, you know, obviously no pre-snap penalties, all that good stuff. Uh, and I think we've shown improvement there. So for me, that's a constant kind of, hey, as fast as we can go or as efficient as we can go, really. Because, you know, it, it isn't – we aren't going to be ultra up-tempo, but I want our guys to be able to get in and out of the huddle, allow the quarterback, allow the center to make his calls, all that good stuff. So the faster and more efficient we can be there, uh, I think we can still take some strides there. And I think it's just finding ways to continue to create explosive plays. You know, I think we've – We've done that. You know, we've kind of opened the, opened things up. You know, you're nine, you're nine practices in. You open up the playbook a little bit. You know, you you finally get out from the, the meat and potatoes of the thing, start scheming some stuff up, get guys out in space. So 
it's been fun to see. I'm excited to see those guys. You know, I think some guys got got some jitters out in a new system in our first scrimmage last week, and I'm excited to see how they do both Friday and then moving forward to two weeks, like you said, for the uh, the spring game. Well, I, I can I can speak for all of us at EVT. We're glad to have you back on the Mesa. Uh, look forward to seeing you out there on the spring game and in the fall. Thank you for joining us. No, always. Anytime. All right, Paul. We Our second interview with Ryan Lindley, this time at, as the offensive coordinator at San Diego State. What did you think about our discussion with him? You know, obviously wrote the article um, about it and spent a lot of time. I mean, you know, obviously you participate in it and I probably listened to it, you know, four times since. I think what's been striking to me is how similar to Heklinski, to Jeff Heklinski, the, the, that conversation turned out to be, which I guess tells me that, that Brady Hoke is very good at articulating what it is that he's looking for in an offensive coordinator. You know, Aztec fans who are hoping for like a return to, you know, Eric Coriel kind of stuff um, shouldn't hold their breaths. But at the same time, I think that there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of positives. And I think that, you know, that was clear again in the interview um, that, you know, this is the, this is the attempt for San Diego State to be great. That's what they're trying to do with Ryan Lindley. There was there was a, probably a more conservative choice, probably a choice that, you know, would have had more experience, probably a choice that would have already had a system fully, fully in play. But uh, they obviously trusted um, Coach Lindley. If it hits, I think this could be, you know, a, a crucial, important hire for State. One thing that, you know, he, he brought this up is just, other than just him coming in midseason and then becoming the offensive coordinator, they've had so much change around him. Assistants, analysts, recruiting coordinators, mm-hmm. bringing a running back coach, and he's gone after a month. I, I like how he mentions that, like, people are calling. People want to interview to come to San Diego State. You know, that's a good sign that no matter the team having a subpar year, winning seven, losing six, that people still want to come here. And that's a testament to the program, the the, the brand, Coach Hoke, and so forth. You know, one of the running themes among, you know, not just fans, but even Coach Hoke brought it up, is the running back by committee, right? Mm-hmm. Five mm-hmm. running backs, you know, getting, I think, at least 40 carries last year. I think only Jordan Bird had like 102 and everybody else was in the 40s or 60s. And I thought it was funny when I asked him about that philosophy that he would they were asking running back coaches that same question in interviews. Right. And that is that is that is a big thing. And I, and I think he brought up a good point. You'd have a Rashad, Rashad Penny. You want to get him out there. But if you if you don't, you have one guy. If you have skill, different skill sets, I think those are all things that. You could you could play multiple guys in different spots. What I think they did too much last year was play something with the same multiple guys in the same spots and give them the same type of carries. And you know, it didn't didn't work out for most of them or any of them really. Uh the other part of that is the Utah aspect, right? We we know about Andy Ludwig, we know that connection. Uh I think what you did, you laid out in your article, which was really nice, was you know, the, the personnel of the roster is very similar to what Utah had this year. I mean, I remember when the Aztecs were playing Utah in week three, 
we doing the preview, all we talked about is how their coach was talking about their receivers were not stepping up and they were not right. making plays and right. uh, they were young and inexperienced and how they were leaning on the tight ends and the running backs. And you're hearing a lot of that now. Makai Shaw has made plays, you know, you have Raphael Williams, yeah, but th- it's still the same boat that Utah was in. And so leaning on the running backs and the tight ends is going to be very interesting in 12 personnel in potentially 21 or 22 personnel where you only have one receiver out there and you have two backs and two tight ends. So yeah, it's, it's, I think thing as much as Ryan coach Lindley wants to be a little bit mysterious about what it's going to look like. I think we have a pretty good idea what it's going to look like. Mm-hmm. You know, and I agree with that. And, and I try to also lay out that, you know, in taking the personality of its head coach, I'm not sure that they know what it's going to fully look like and they're going to allow that competition to play out and kind of decide it for itself. And and I think in an ideal world, you know, those, those choices would be made for them because somebody would just completely separate themselves and in whatever role, Um, you know, you mentioned a Makai Shaw who every single practice that we go to, he's making great catches. People are having a hard time covering him. And so if he can elevate himself, well, then maybe you start saying, okay, we have a dependable receiver. And and that kind of process, again, is going to play out over you know the, the rest of spring and then in through the summer. I think that it's really hard to like wrap our minds around the idea that the leader and the leaders and the, that they don't have a design that they're trying to like fit players into. And because that's just the norm. I mean, the norm is that the people who are in charge, they know exactly what they're looking for. They know exactly what they're doing. And they're going to find the, the right people to who can do the things that they need to have done. And to, to, to reverse that and, and to kind of build it around the actual people that are there, um, you know, is much more mom and pop. It's much more... It's less technical, but at the same time, I, I, and I, you know, try to present that in the article. I think there's an argument that can be made that San Diego state, if they try to do exactly what UCLA is doing or do exactly what USC is doing, that that is a really high bar to be able to, cause they're not going to have the resources and, and, and if they're going to try to copy those things, right, it's one thing for it's one thing for, you know, Burger King to try to copy what McDonald's did. But if you and I were opening up a burger spot, copying McDonald's wouldn't make sense for us. We would want to find our own niche because that's that's the way we could we could be successful and be elite. And I think San Diego State is trying to do that. It reminds me of the Padres, actually. And the Padres are a great example of 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 the whole dynamic. You remember years ago, uh, Petco Park had that really, really deep right and center field. Uh, Jed Hoyer, who was the GM at the time, they they asked him, should we move it in? Should they they do that? And he said, no, keep it the way that it is. He said, because what we can do is we could get speedy outfielders who aren't necessarily going to hit home runs, but can hit doubles and are really fast and they can cover that. And that can be our own niche because we're going to play 80 games in this huge cavernous ballpark and everybody else will be built for the home run and they'll be built for all of that kind of stuff, but we're going to play that small ball and built around pitching and defense. And we'll have that unique characteristic and we can compete that way. And I think to his point, 
you know, Japan in the World Baseball Classic that was held at Petco, they played a bunch of big teams that could mash, but they were able to win playing that style that fit Petco Park at that time. Now you fast forward to now, and the Padres are competing because they're out yanking, out dodgering the Dodgers. <laughs> you know, you know what I mean? They're, they're they're spinning and doing that same recipe. And so if the Aztecs could do what Alabama's doing, do what Georgia's doing, then yeah, do it. You should copy them. But if you're unable to, then I think you have to try to find a different path and a different way forward. You know, this this is this is the attempt that they're making, which is to to truly build something new every year. You know, Coach Lindley's kind of uh, discussion about recruiting, you know, he mentioned recruiter die, which I mm-hmm. think my Coach Leach, he kind of alluded that that came from Mississippi State. And I think it was right. uh, Mike Leach thing. You know, watching uh, film of Javance Johnson on the flight from St- Mississippi to San Diego, where he has no, you know, he's no idea what's happening. He's flying across the country, about to become a quarterback coach. And he's watching film. He's getting prepped. And then he's calling Javance, right? Building that trust. And I oh, think- Lindley's on the plane. Okay. I think, I think you said Javance was on the plane. No, Lindley said when he was on the plane. Coming gotcha. To Diego, yeah, I misunderstood. Before. He was yeah. watching film of Javance. Uh, right. Because at that point he was committed. But, you know, they, they had no idea what, what Javance was thinking. We know now what he was thinking because we thought we had a chance to talk to him. Right. But at the time, they probably didn't. And uh, mm-hmm. I thought it was interesting. He mentioned quarterbacks for class of 24, that they have three or four offers out there. Mm-hmm. I've seen three. And I think he was when he said, if you decide to commit tomorrow, saying that he said that they say that to those three guys, then they're done. You know, first one to take the offer is good. And in this world where people are changing minds, transferring, you could say, well, is that really the right way to do it? Because if somebody commits now, you know, nine months later, he might not be committed anymore. And then did you lose all this time to recruit another quarterback, right? But I think that goes back into the whole trust thing. If if you're making that commitment to a player, that player, depending on what type of person that is, is going to remember that, is going to hold on to that when they're, you know, when it's time for them to finally make their final decision. But, you know, you know what's interesting, if you look at those three guys that they have offers out, one of them is from Starkville, Mississippi. Coincidence? I don't think so. Trey Petty. He's a three-star quarterback. If you look at all of his offers, you know, what what happens when you look at San Diego State guys who have offers, right? You see the Pac-12, you see the Mountain West, you see maybe some of the Texas schools, because if they're from Texas, but you don't see any Mountain West or Pac-12 schools. You're basically fighting with Big 12, Big 10, you know, HBCU uh, programs. So, like, this is a guy that Ryan's experience in that area from being at Mississippi State could potentially help them land this great quarterback, you know, so. I, I agree. And again, I think you see the the same kind of idea of San Diego State trying to do something different. You, a month ago or so, when Josh Simmons uh, made his choice to transfer and, um, you know, the, the sources and things that, that we, we were able to talk to that said that NIL was a part of that. And I wrote an article at the time just basically saying, that NIL is the thing that, like, the expectations for what a move to the Pac-12 could be, what Snapdragon Stadium can be. If San Diego State doesn't get 
into the NIL world, that impact that everyone was sure what it would be becomes unknown again. And I think that that's another way because, you know, you mentioned Rashad Penny earlier. What would that have been like if as a freshman, he is, you know, returning all kinds of kicks for a touchdown, but can't see the field on offense because he's behind Rashad Penny. I mean, sorry, he's behind Donnell Pumphrey. Yeah. Um, Would he have transferred, you know, or Donnell Pumphrey? Or Donald Pumphrey, you know, he's a, he's a freshman. He comes in and and really turns their season around. W- would he have would he have been somewhere else? Would he have made that choice? And I think you know, if they're able to form this relationship with whatever QB, say, listen, we're gonna take the risk of a team as as a program. We're gonna take the risk you just mentioned, and we're going to not have another quarterback. We're not gonna recruit him. We're done. I think it makes. If if that quarterback turns out to be a really early starter and then, you know, all the different things that can happen around NIL surrounding that kind of player and other stuff, you know, it, it, it just makes you think twice because, you know, somebody did invest in you. Somebody did trust you and you trusted that program and you helped to, to have ownership of San Diego State. And so I think you can also see why that's smart um, from that perspective. And, you know, but, but, and then keeping on with the, with the theme of, of Ryan Lindley and I think what we learned from the interview with him, I think I totally did not understand Mark Redmond's, when he made the quote that, that they want to be the hammer, not the nail. I totally yeah. thought that was all about toughness. It, it was, I, that's how I took it. That's how I understood it. That, you know, Mark Redmond doesn't just want to be a, a receiver that catches the ball or a tight end that catches the ball, but he wants to block and he wants to be physical. And I, that's the way I took it. And um, for, for Coach Lindley to, to give it a completely different idea, um, I think the way he took that is really exciting because if there's been one consistent theme of San Diego State's offense the last handful of years, maybe the last 10 years, it's that they're predictable. Yeah. And you're not if you're predictable, you're not the hammer. Right. I mean, that's that's the that's the the, the crux of that. Um, and so I thought that, that it was a very illuminating idea. Um, and then again, alluding to Utah, Andy Lugwood figured out how to make the run first offense. What did he say? Sexy. <laughs> and, yeah. and that's what and that's what that means. That means it's not predictable. That means you're surprising people you're you're playing the, the the chess match and you're you're beating them and the fact that that that's what he wants it to be that he wants to impose his will on the other team set the pace set the tempo decide how the game's going to be played and to have that mentality um as he said we've seen that from San Diego State's defense but it, it's not really been something that we've seen from San Diego State's offense for a long time yeah i think so a lot of people might be listening to Coach Lindley and thinking, okay, we're going to go back to the the pre-RPO days where it was play action and fullback and uh, running, running, running. And there will be some of that, but I do, as what you mentioned, I think there will be a lot of variation, a lot of motion, a lot of guys split out that you d- didn't see back then either. Um, and the, I think predictable is what dooms offenses. Because if no matter how good your players are, if you're running and lining up the same way every time and just saying my guy is better than yours, it's just not going to work. Eventually, the defenses are going to be like, it doesn't matter if your guy is better than my guy. 
I'm going to stop it because I'm going to use all 11 guys. That being predictable is how offenses are doomed and being unpredictable, lining up in a formation and running a completely different play out of it that you did the last time you ran it. That's that's what works in the, in football right now. That's what I think Coach Lindley is getting at when he talks about being multiple and being diverse and utilizing multiple running backs, multiple tight ends, because typically when you line up in, you know, one running back, one tight end, three receivers, every play, and you're running the same route trees for the receivers, it's just, it, it's, defenses can stop that stuff these days. It's, there's too much film out there with technology and all that stuff that defensive coordinators just can figure a lot of that out. And so that that's the challenge for offensive coordinators now is to how to be unpredictable. Good stuff. Very good stuff. Um, I also found interesting his idea of talking about how there's, there's flexibility within the depth chart. Mm-hmm. And we, we've been seeing uh, Brandon Crenshaw Dixon um, running with the twos all camp. It was interesting to, to hear him talk about they're trying to figure out when they see a young guy playing well, they're trying to figure out why. Is, is, this, is this player actually legit or are they competing against other guys who aren't very good, right? Are they, is it at, at the beginning part of camp when we haven't given them too many plays so they're able just to play fast because they only have to do one of three things? And, and they're trying to eliminate, you know, kind of scientifically all the different reasons what it could be. And then when they're left with, there is no excuse for why this guy is playing well other than the fact that he's good, then they'll trust him. Um, and, you, and, and, and so when he was talking about and Coach Lindley was talking about the message that he's been giving to the offense in that same section where he was talking um, about that Redmond quote. He said, yeah, you know what? We're just starting with the offense. I get that. And the defense that we're playing against every day has been doing this for a long time. Yes, they have veteran players coming back, but so do we. And he said, we have a quarterback coming back. We have two linemen coming back. We have, you know, and, and, multiple I'm coming back in and all that kind of stuff. And so I was wondering, you know, what, what was that reference to and, and exactly what that means for what we've seen in the depth chart, because I do know that, that, you know, uh, we're not there at every practice. I know that uh, Brandon Kutsaw Dixon posted a picture on his Instagram where he was running with the ones. And so like, that's just an interesting concept and an interesting idea that maybe it's better in spring when you're so far away from, fall camp it's better that drew as a party is running against garrett fountain and you can actually see how good he is versus bcd going against garrett fountain and and both of them aren't really you know in this space getting getting tons better off of those reps so that would be really curious to see um you know how they did that young defensive lineman same thing you know, is Dom Oliver and R and Darian Dalton, are they truly better? Because every time you ask about it, coach mentions the second string more than he mentions those two guys. And so it's just interesting. I'm curious to see how they do that. But I did think that that was a very like, um, you know, kind of kind of behind the curtain answer about how they try to approach the question um, without a preseason. Right. If, if this was the NFL, they could play those guys in the preseason and it would answer all of those questions. But 
without a preseason, how do you answer the question, is a guy actually going to be ready on Saturdays? Are they actually going to be able to produce? And the way that they do it is they make sure that they're playing at the higher on the higher teams so that way they're facing the stiffest competition they're facing the most veteran players you 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 uh, front load a bunch of content so you're having to make them think about what they're supposed to do and see if they can still play fast and still play effective and 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 so it's just a smart thing that that you know uh, it would probably have taken me a few years to figure out how to do that you know if 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 I ever would have that responsibility yeah, you know, before we should probably mention Jalen Maiden, you know, oh, quarterback. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he, uh, Lindley is the offensive coordinator. He's also the quarterback coach, and we know the quarterback is is the the head of the the offense. You know, I thought it was interesting. He talked about improving his pocket presence in the spring with more reps. Um, that was something that I thought Maiden did pretty well early mm-hmm. in his first few games mm-hmm. watching games we we were getting used to the Aztecs quarterbacks getting rid of the ball quickly right, right. Burmester and then Kyle Crum and even Liu for the little stretch in, in Boise and then Jalen Maiden comes in and he's holding the ball I mean at times you're thinking he's holding the ball too long but it, he was finding guys downfield and I think you know, that maybe at the end of the season, that became more of a detriment. But if that's something he's improving in, moving his feet, uh, being able to move around and still, you know, make plays out down the field, uh, that should definitely help the offense. And that's part of the unpredictability as well. You know, if you have a drop back passer that's not mobile, well, guess what? That's one thing defenses don't have to worry about. Right. Whereas with a quarterback that isn't mobile, they got to worry about rollouts, bootlegs. And then just the play breaking down and him going out, rolling out himself. So all, all stuff that, you know, we'll see, we'll get a chance to see in the spring game and then we'll see where um, that, that is. And then all the way out, obviously until fall camp or as you get closer to week, week zero, I guess you, it's not week one, it's week zero no. this year. <laughs> Weird. No, I, and I couldn't agree with you more. And in fact, I, I would phrase it, you know, when we saw, made in prior to switching to safety i think we we would both agree that he had the best pocket presence of jordan berkshire and lucas johnson and it was maybe the 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 lack of decisiveness on that and the rolling out and putting the ball in danger too much and stuff like that 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 made him fall below those guys on the depth chart but it was that pocket presence that was there it was the pocket presence when we had Jordan Berkshire. When we asked him, we said, hey, man, what is it that he does well? And he's, man, he's really good from in the pocket. And so, like, if there was a danger of him not throwing a football for eight months, it was that that elite skill to be calm under pressure, to be able to go from read to read, to being able to do that could be lost. And I think that it's, it's, it's good news for Aztec fans that, that that is, of all the things that he picked out, um, that's what he picked out because as you say, that's, what's going to make him, I think everything can, for him can build off of that. If you have a mobile quarterback, then the lanes that defenders have to rush through become more predictable and you have to have outside containment and you have to make sure everyone stays in their lane. But if you have the skill to be in the pocket, then you're just playing right into keeping the guy in the pocket. And then the flip side of it is if your goal is to to make him move his feet and, and to be able to do that, 
Well, if he can be really good in that regard too, then it's kind of pick your poison. And you know, San Diego State's schedule, you know, is is really tough the first six games. It's it's hard to predict them to be, you know, favorites in a lot of those games and all that kind of stuff. But but I think the the part of the equation when it comes to San Diego State that that isn't solidified yet, you know, especially with actually I'm gonna say that I'm gonna take that back. But I think you saw at the end of the season, I, I would I would argue that even in the games where he played bad, he was the most consequential player on the field. And it was him not playing well that made the Aztecs lose or, or kept them in the game when he did because there were flashes all throughout the even the games that he played poorly at. And so I don't I don't think it's a stretch to suggest that that Jalen Maiden could be the best player on the field in every game that he plays next year if he can take that next level and take that next step. And if he is that player for San Diego State, then they could have a really good season. I think the trouble is, is that if he's not, what are they left with? And that and that is the that I think is where it gets a little bit dicey for them is I'm not sure that you could you're going to expect, you know, those special teams touchdowns that they got a year ago or two, and two years ago. Um the defense, you know, may not be where it was um it'll definitely be different. And and so I think that that if you're looking to try to be in, you know, why not? It's it's March hopeful for that season it, it rests on what you know one eight can do and that that um coach Lindley is saying that he's already improved dramatically over the spring i think um should make aztecs fans excited for for what he can produce yeah as we talked about the spring game is this coming thursday march 23rd 6 p.m snapdragon stadium tickets are free parking i believe is ten dollars so mm-hmm. Come out and check it out. We'll be there. Before that spring game, we we will have another episode coming out. And it will be with uh, the newest, one of the new coaches at San Diego State, Bojay Philly Moyatu, defensive line coach. So it was an opportunity to, to catch up with him, uh, get to know him a little bit better because he is a new coach to uh, San Diego State. I think you guys will enjoy uh, that conversation. And that should come out, that will come out before the spring game. So stay tuned for that. It feels good to be at this place uh, in our coverage. You know, we we definitely have had conversations a full year ago about, you know, off-season coverage and being able to provide coverage through spring and all those kind of things. Um, and so as spring is wrapping up, I, I think that our coverage has been very, very good. And, you know, I look forward to some, you know, just creative opportunities as as try to bridge the gap between, you know, spring camp and, and those things. But, you know, you do a great job, man. I appreciate you. I appreciate you as well. Thank you guys for listening because we always appreciate the listeners the most. Most. Uh, make sure to hit the subscribe, like, follow, whatever uh, platform you uh, listen to this. And we'll uh, talk to you guys next time. You are listening to the SDSU Football Podcast, presented by the East Village Times with your hosts, Andre Hagverdian and Paul Garrison.